Hello, everyone, and welcome to CPPR's podcast series, Policy Beyond Politics. I am Purvaja Modak, Research Fellow for International Relations Geoeconomics at CPPR. In these podcasts, we will be discussing new and crucial developments in the field of international relations, law, geoeconomics, and global governance, and we'll hear interesting insights from our in-house and external research scholars. So in our previous podcast, we discussed the role of the private sector in the Chinese economy with Mr. Murlidharan Nair, who has served as the Indian consul in China and has served in diplomatic missions in Shanghai, Guangzhou, Hong Kong, and Singapore. We had a lot of interesting discussions with him, and we had so many more questions for him on the topic that we decided to do part two of the podcast series. So I have Murli sir with me again today to discuss this topic further. I'd like to ask you uh, this question now. Uh, how far is it true that uh, the MSME sector in China, which is a ma- major player in the Chinese economy and uh, the country's leading employer, it is uh, perennially uh, strapped for capital as banks in China are not keen to extend credit to them? Uh, very true. That's a very true. The SME, uh, that is small scale uh, sectors, uh, small and medium scale sector is perennially strapped for cash everywhere in the world, including China. It's a worldwide uh, problem. Uh, I told you earlier that China has around 90 million uh, uh, companies in the SME sector. And believe me, 80% of them do not get any credit or loans from the, from the banking sector. Of, of the government. Um, uh, that means around 7 crore, 20 lakh companies don't get any, any sort of support from banks in, in China. Though government at every National People's Congress meeting say that these SME sectors should be supported by the banks, loans should be given to them. In reality, nothing happens because the banks are scared that some of them may run away, they may not pay the money. Whereas in the case of the state-owned enterprises, the government will take care of um, you know the non-paid uh, uh, loans or NPAs. Uh, so there are there are so many stories, hundreds and thousands of stories where these investors taking loan have run away from uh, from the country uh, when they when the in the when the factories are no more profitable, even leaving the employees unpaid for several months uh, together. Uh, so the banks don't trust them and they don't give them the money. So these people uh, rely on their relatives and friends. Say they, because people are wealthy in China, there is a hidden uh, big uh, chunk of wealth in China, even now, uh, from, from the past. Uh, maybe we'll discuss about it later. And uh, more than that, there is something called under, underground banking in China. Uh, maybe Karl Marx never thought of this while he was... Uh, propounding his communist uh, theories. Uh, if, 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 if to give an example, there is something called Wancho model, which nobody speaks of uh, these days. Uh, they, they say that the Wancho model is not uh, sustainable. So it's the case with Kerala model. Um, uh, economists say that the Kerala model is also not sustainable. Uh, but uh, the, the thing is that uh, the first. Uh, uh, individual enterprise in China was set up in Wanchow. It's a small uh, township or it was a village earlier uh, in those days. Now it's a big city. It, ha- it has the first uh, uh, air, privately owned airport in China. Even when 
employing or if an individual employing another employee that is apart from the state was a sort of treason in China uh, in those days. These people used to employ. So they all helped each other and people had money uh, hidden from various sources. They help each other. So if, if you want me to tell me, I don't know the real, I, nobody can tell the real worth of this underground uh, uh, banking system. But in 2016, uh, I remember there was uh, one uh, big uh, clamp down on this uh, um, uh, underground banking system. And uh, 20, $131 billion worth of money was recovered from them. Uh, in 2015, uh, you know, $1 trillion worth of uh, Chinese money was stashed away abroad in the, in the underground, underground banking system. There are so many other uh, statistics I can start uh, reeling off, but it's a huge thing. And the government doesn't want to completely demolish this uh, particular system uh, because then government will be forced to find finances, you know, support uh, this uh, small-scale sector. So it's a cat-and-mouse sort of thing. It happened. Government knows that it's happening. It will clamp down on it for some time. Then they keep quiet for some time. So this your, your, your question is very correct that the SMEs don't get, in general, don't get uh, uh, any, any worthwhile support from the government in terms of uh, credits and loans. So, uh, Muli, sir, you uh, spoke about the launch of a path-breaking policy of reform and the opening up by Deng Xiaoping in 1978-79. Uh, so, uh, how was this uh, capitalist route to economic growth, if you can call it that, uh, how was it welcomed by the, conserv uh, the conservative lobby within the CCP? Oh, that was, you know, there was a lot of resistance. You can imagine a conservative path. Uh, party like the Communist Party suddenly welcoming or adopting the capitalist route, as you as you mentioned, uh, so it had a, a lot of resistance from the conservatives in the party. There were uh, media wars by group, one group writing against the other. Some people supporting it, some people opposing it. But luckily, you know, the pro-reform group had the support of the paramount leader Deng Xiaoping. So he was sitting behind the seen not holding any powerful post but controlling the entire thing so um, so in fact uh, the conservatives were frightened what, what sort of route the communist party is taking you know from from a, a, a strictly ideological uh, route to a capitalist uh, route was unthinkable for them uh, but as i said uh, he started pushing it uh, with full strength and he had Chiang Zemin as the as the um, president of the country and general secretary of the party at that time uh, when the real confusion was going on. So as I mentioned earlier, he had assured the overseas Chinese personally that uh, their money is protected. Uh, some people jocularly say that he had given it to them in writing, which is probably uh, on the high side of uh, speculation. So uh, Chiang Semin got puzzled. He also came under pressure. Then, as I said, he, he undertook the famous uh, Southern Tour in 1982. 
the you know in in the winter months the chinese readers generally visit the southern part of china which is cold but but slightly better than the northern part of china like beijing and all so here he made he visited places like shenzhen guangzhou zhuhai shanghai etc shanghai is on the eastern coast uh, and made a big you know very very forceful speeches supporting um, uh, reforms and opening up and by that time he had uh, become so powerful that the conservatives had to take a uh, back seat but teng shaoping was very very you know imaginative person in the sense that um, for example he said that um, if if stock stocks and stock markets are good for the capitalist world Can't it be good for the for the shortlist world? We should, uh, you know, um, uh, study it well and embrace it if it's good for our people. Uh, then I said he talked about the color of the cat, glorious to get rich, let some people rich. That sort of statement, a statement coming out of a Chinese leader, is a major dictate in that society. It's not like our uh, leaders making statements day after day, but this is. taken as government orders actually so um, he even said that the leftist elements in the communist party of china is more dangerous than the rightist so these are all very very strict uh, big structures on the uh, leftist and orthodox people and as i said you know dengnan uh, uh, the, the daughter of teng shaoping uh, said in 2014 that my father's speeches had saved china's uh, reforms and opening up so in fact though it is a single minded effort of teng shaoping that saw to it that the china reformed and opened up to the outside world and the chinese people started getting the benefits so others had to fall in line at that time so mudli sir um, of late we have come across so many reports on uh, the owners of big business houses in china coming under the government's uh, scrutiny so uh, this is in context of uh, china's recent moves to go back to a nationalist approach from the market economy approach that was being encouraged for the last few decades and i particularly ask you this in reference to the crackdown in edtech companies and the online food companies that uh, we're hearing about in the recent weeks so uh, has the party in any way set any red lines for uh, private businessmen definitely there is a red line there are red lines actually uh, red lines may, you know <laughs> may change from time to time but there are red lines uh, in in china drawn by the communist party so uh, in fact a, a, a membership to the party is a uh, is a ticket that opens to the uh, opens so many doors in china so there was a big rush for uh, um for uh, the 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 uh, uh, people to join the communist party and um, uh, if you allow me i will just briefly mention how this uh, uh capitalist were accepted by the party before i answer your question you know uh, it was difficult for the communist party to accept the capitalist uh, uh people into the the end of, uh, the the the, the uh, people from the private sector into the party but uh, they cleverly uh, you know uh, after to, uh, 1989 tiananmen square 
there was uh, again resistance to people uh, from the capitalist sector join the the communist party but in 10 years time they changed it and uh, in 2001 i think the party was celebrating its uh, 80th anniversary then uh, they they, uh, they made announcements uh, they didn't use the word capitalist or private uh, people they said that uh, all major segments of the people should be represented in the party uh, where you know it was uh, put forth as a, an ideology of uh, thing shopping they said that one of the they said something like a three represents the major uh, part of the three represents was ad, advanced productive forces that the party should uh, represent the developing trends of advanced production forces in the country and this advanced uh, production forces is nothing but uh, the capitalist in china now uh, coming to your question there are red lines definitely uh, they keep changing the red lines from time to time you said the nationalism uh, is there uh, but the recent crackdown on some companies i think uh, it has happened in the past also uh, definitely it's not the first time that it's happening but in the past it was isolated cases but these days it's it's um, i won't say it's concerted but definitely it's uh, happening uh, continuously and the intensity of the crackdown is also quite quite heavy in the sense that uh, uh, in the in the crackdown on these big house uh, business houses since november 2020 uh, has wiped out wiped out uh, nearly 1.0 trillion um, uh, worth of this company's value in the in the in the market this is a huge amount you know it's probably one third of india's equivalent to one third of india's gdp so secondly now they are cracking down mainly on uh, tech companies mainly there are other companies as well so is it uh, a deliberate uh, um, attempt to 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 uh, attack these companies we really don't know but uh, the company, the, the Chinese Communist Party knows that this is affecting the uh, the uh, future of innovation. Uh, it's also creating confusion, leading to loss of confidence in these sectors. And uh, but CCP is not against uh, people tapping capitalist markets, but they should do it under CCP's terms. Uh, after getting their approval, that, that's it. No, the case of Ant Group, uh, which uh, uh, which uh, uh, was uh, uh, you know clamped down uh, by the by the Communist Party, they were told that you had not reported uh, so many of your activities like mergers and acquisitions. Uh, you are liking a, uh, like behaving like a monopoly. And they were um, uh, fined 2.8 billion dollars. You know, the Alibaba Group had to pay that. 2.8 billion dollar is probably a little more than the uh, GDP of the uh, of a small country like Bhutan. And uh, they, they, this company and group was uh, forced to restructure it uh, itself into a financial holding company sort of thing. So uh, this sort of uh, you know uh, you are they said that companies are not uh, be, be, uh, are adopting anti 
competitive behavior. Tencent, Pintauto, this is an e-commerce platform. They were all targeted. Another big uh, in, uh, case was of Titi, the taxi ride hailing uh, service. After it went public in USA, it was stopped from adding new customers, removed, uh, it was forced to remove so many services from its app. Then the, 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 the company, the education company you mentioned, TAL, Edu Group, and there are a couple of others. Uh, they were told to become non-profitable uh, in the sense that they cannot make profit out of it and they cannot raise funds from stock market. This was another heavy uh, you know, hammer on uh, their head, these companies. And they, so much of value was wiped out of this, these companies. Uh, in this company's case, if you, if you ask me, um, the main reason is that China is an aging nation. People are aging. Uh, birth rate is coming down back to back during the past four years. Um, birth rate is coming down. The people are not building. Initially, everyone thought that because of the one-child policy, nobody wants to produce children. Now they are scared of uh, you know, producing children in the sense that education has become so expensive and uh, tuition, private tuitions, private tutoring has become so common, like India's Baiju group and all. There are so many which sprung up and which are so prohibitively expensive. People, by the studies made by Chinese party, show that people are scared to have a second child because they say they are unable to. Uh, they won't be able to afford uh, the, that sort of education for two children. And another company, you know, not from this tech sector, is, is the Dawu Agricultural and Animal Husbandry Group. It's run by an ex-PLA uh, soldier. Uh, he made it very big, uh, but he questioned the party. So uh, questioning the parties out of the question in China, say the, 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 the red lines you ask for is, you know, no, don't question the party or the government policies. Don't do anything, uh, uh, you know, to challenge the state uh, enterprises. Don't uh, keep individual data. Chinese are very sensitive about the Chinese party, Communist Party sensitive about uh, individual data. Don't keep such data beyond a point and don't ever keep anything uh, at a place where foreigners, some foreign agency could access these data. Don't challenge the monopoly of banks. You know, like this has happened to Alibaba by the, he had questioned, uh, he said that the banking sector uh, had archaic uh, rules and regulations. And uh, then they are worried about uh, outflow of money. You know, trillions of dollars uh, are being uh, um, channeled out of China uh, legally and through illegal means also. Uh, and interestingly, the CCP also runs a lot of businesses directly or indirectly. Uh, and if CCP wants to invest in some of these companies, uh, definitely that should not be resisted. Definitely, if somebody resisted, uh, he had it. Definitely, that's a big problem. And another thing I would like to mention is that, um, you know, there are two movements that's, that are happening in China. One is called 996. That is nine in the morning till nine in the evening, six days a week. The youngsters are, you know, they get a lot of money and now they are tired of working. They are questioning why should we work from nine in the morning till nine in the evening for six days a week. 
and along with that is something called lying flat. This is a very uh, dangerous uh, movement according to the Chinese Communist Party. People, youngsters are questioning why should we work so hard in schools, colleges, write exams, get good job, work overtime or even on holidays, make a lot of money, get married, buy big cars, buy good, big, big houses. What are the returns at the end of the day? So this sort of questioning is happening. I don't, uh, uh, the Chinese Communist Party definitely is not uh, uh, favoring uh, this sort of thing uh, because it will kill enterprise and it may lead to a lot of um, uh, discontentment in the society. So the government says that we want the stability, uh, we want data security, we don't want uh, confusion in the economy. And the party says that uh, the private sector, big companies should you know, participate in the redistribution of wealth because there is a lot of uh, inequality within the Chinese society. So definitely uh, there are red lines. Uh, what time? Uh, which is a red line is for the Communist Party to say, decide. So definitely uh, China is going through a difficult phase for the big private sector business houses are concerned. Oh, thank you, Murli, sir. This was a very interesting, uh, you know, uh, account of uh, what is happening uh, within China. Um, so an interesting next question to you would be, uh, how do you anticipate uh, or do you anticipate actually any change in the CCP's attitude towards uh, the Chinese private sector in the possible event of a regime change in the future? Do you uh, anticipate a change and what could that change be like? Um, uh, regime change means, um, you know, earlier they had this, uh, you know, well-established uh, path to um, uh, one leader handing over charge to the next man, but uh, Xi Jinping has done away with that. Now they say he's a chairman of everything and he could be the president for life. We don't know how much that is true. Uh, so many stories are coming out of China um, and also from the Western world that there is resistance to that. But in my view, uh, think, uh, Xi Jinping will definitely become uh, will continue to be the president of China for at least one more term. After that, what happens is uh, beyond my capacity to anticipate. Uh, but overall, I think China will definitely um, continue uh, with uh, the present uh, sort of uh, uh, ruling the uh, ruling the country. Uh, but if there is instability in the country. There is, if the unemployment rates go very high and there is tension within the society, definitely then these people who oppose Xiang Semin will get a time to, um, to, to challenge him at that time. So we don't know when that such a situation will, will, uh, uh, will arise. Uh, yeah, there is a trend for uh, economic nationalism, as you we just discussed. But let me ask uh, uh, you a question: That what did the CCP do uh, in order to uh, achieve the gains it has achieved today? Yeah. No, as far as the private sector is concerned, we'll concentrate on that. 
it uh, created a conducive atmosphere for the private sector to flourish it uh, did not stand in the way of the um, private sector it was not obstructive in any way it removed certain barriers when it was required and it stepped back when it was required you know when they could not uh, take a firm stand they closed one eye and allowed things to happen you know only when it's required they climb down on certain activities so they did not kill the um, individual spirit of free enterprise they did not kill the uh, individual um, uh, willingness to act independently to make money of course uh, because they had done that in the 1950s through 60s and 70s and it led to atrophy and uh, uh, economic stagnation so any leader coming in the future uh, will definitely make sure that he doesn't uh, do these uh, cardinal sins by killing individual uh, uh, spirit of free enterprise definitely uh, but the chinese businessmen are very clever uh, nobody need to we don't need to over emphasize that so over the past several years uh, they have been uh, you know sending their children to study abroad make sure that the child who studies abroad work there for some time and ultimately get a foreign passport many of them go abroad you know they transfer money there are so many countries which give citizenship if you invest in that country they do that so wherever there is uh, they permit dual citizenship these big businessmen take a foreign passport and they stash away uh, a part of their savings abroad in safe havens so they are very so in in, in chinese uh, uh, they say that one foot in china the other foot in a foreign land where democracy where they can run away with a part at least a part of the money uh when it's required so um changes will be there but i don't anticipate any drastic change in the approach to the private sector except in cases like we discussed earlier the small and medium sector will be safe if the big uh business houses toe the party line don't question them definitely they 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 will be treated with respect uh by the chinese communist party <laughs> that's my view uh i hope i'm 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 i am I'm, uh, i'm not wrong um thank you murli sir and uh, just one final question very briefly um who does the common chinese man see as his savior is it mao zedong or is it dong xiaoping <laughs> yeah interesting definitely mao was responsible for liberating the country they don't say independence they said liberation so uh, in liberating the country from a feudal system and foreign influences but his policies of um, uh, cultural revolution greatly forward all brought in instability into the country and to the death of um, hundreds of thousands of people as we discussed uh, a little earlier uh, but after his death tang shopping took over uh, so he brought stability he brought growth he brought prosperity to the country removed abject poverty though he was not uh, there personally to oversee it the country now is um, number one on a ppp basis uh, on the nominal terms the country will become the biggest economy in the current decade 
ending 2030. So for an ordinary man, if you look at the history from, a, from an academic perspective, Mao has done wonders by you know uniting a country and uh, uh, bringing uh, some sort of a stability to the country. But uh, in the case of Teng Shopping, he put food into the mouth of the people. He brought you know shelter over the head of the common man. Uh, he could uh, deliver to the aspirations of the of the youth in China. So definitely, uh, in my experience in China, nobody the the man on the street. I'm not talking about the academics or bureaucrats. The man on the street speaks about uh, uh, Teng Shaoping. They are grateful to Teng Shaoping for making these changes. Uh, it is not now the people depend on Mao. When there is a, a power struggle, they want to you know drive some ideological thing to the minds of the people. Then they lean on Mao. Otherwise, Deng is the man people, um, in my view or in my experience, are grateful to. So that, that's it. Uh, well, uh, Murli Sath, uh, this was a very interesting. Uh... Uh, you know, series of questions that I had for you and your answers were really, uh, you know, there's so much that I've learned from uh, you today. So uh, with this, I'd like to uh, thank you for sharing your views with CPPR. Uh, we look forward to hosting you again soon for yet another engaging discussion on your areas of research and expertise. Uh, thank you to all our listeners for joining us. You can listen to all our podcasts on our social media accounts. Just type hashtag policy beyond politics podcast. For more research and content from CPPR, do log into our website www.cppr.in. Follow our work on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and subscribe to our updates on Telegram. Thank you, and we will be back again soon with many more interesting discussions with eminent scholars. Goodbye. <laughs>